Well, hello, and welcome back to the Cory Doctorow podcast. This may be the last one for a while. I'm at DEF CON next weekend, and then I am launching the Kickstarter for Chokepoint Capitalism audiobook, which is probably going to keep me pretty busy, but maybe I'll squeeze one in the week after. And then I'm at Burning Man, and then I'm on tour, and I'm not sure when or if I will be able to do more of these. Although, if you're going to Burning Man, I will be speaking at Palenque Norte, at Center Camp, and at my own camp at Liminal Lab. So if you are there, please check my blog, Pluralistic.net, for listings of all of those as soon as I have them. All right, well, I'm having a very Linuxy kind of recording session today. I have had all of the frustrations and miracles of free and open source software all in one go. So I sat down to record having just got back from a weekend away with my family here on a Sunday afternoon. And um, for some reason, Audacity, the program I normally use to record with, could not find my microphone. It found all the mics connected to my computer except the one I wanted to use. And of course, because this is Linux, I actually had two copies of Audacity installed, which I'd never bothered to figure out, one with Snap and one with Apt. And so neither of them could find my mic. And then I went looking for an alternative. And of course, the alternative I found was something called Snapdacity, which is a clone of Audacity dating back from when the Audacity project decided to start putting telemetry tracking in. And it's just a fork of it that doesn't have the tracking in it. But you have to build it from sources using GitHub. So, and for that, I had to install a new Python interpreter. It was really something. It was quite a, quite a lot of stuff. So on the one hand, I had a very mysterious problem, but on the other hand, I found a solution. And on the third hand, that solution was derived from, you know, entirely justifiable tantrum that some developers had that caused them to fork some code, but also theme it after The Simpsons. So there you go. I have a lot more travel coming up after DEF CON. I don't have it all handy. It's not really finalized. It's up in the air, but I'll be in Toronto, and I'm going to be in Ottawa, New York, Washington, D.C., London, maybe Glasgow, Dublin, San Francisco, Miami, maybe twice, lots of places. This is for my next book, Chokepoint Capitalism. So watch this space. I'll have all of those details soon. All right. This week's reading is a column I wrote for Medium that published out while I was on holiday. And it's a column about why it's great to write blog-like writing and what that says about people who don't want to read it. And that column is called, So, You've Decided to Unfollow Me, from doctoro.medium.com. So, you've decided to unfollow me. We're good. Seriously. It's hard to overstate how liberating the early years of internet publishing were. After a century of publishing driven by the needs of an audience, we could finally switch to a model driven by the interests of writers. That meant that instead of trying to figure out what some demographic wanted to read about, we wrote about what we wanted to read and then waited for people who shared our interest to show up and read and comment and write their own blogs and newsletters and whatnot. When the first ad networks came along, they leaned into this model. Here's a writer whose audience has this approximate composition and interests. If that's a group you're trying to reach, then here's a rate card to show those people ads. 
Back in those days, it seemed that ad targeting would enable more niches, more long-tail publications tailoring to the esoteric, gnarly interests of writers and readers. But that was wrong. As behavioral ad targeting took off, and with it social networks and recommendation algorithms, the money shifted to follow readers around on the internet. Some readers were worth more than others. Showing an ad for a contingency liability lawyer to someone with a mesothelioma diagnosis was worth a bundle, for example, but you don't have to write about asbestos or lung cancer to score ad revenue from that user. Rather, if you could suck in a massive undifferentiated audience, the ad targeting algorithms would segment them for you, matching the reader with the advertiser willing to pay the most to reach them. We know what happened next. Sensationalism, clickbait, cute animals, an explosion of broadly targeted material intended to serve as a funnel for narrowly targeted ads. A lot has been written about the effect this had on the discourse, TM, but I want to talk about the effect this has had on the relationship between readers and writers. In the golden years of internet publishing, the point was to find the weirdos who like the same stuff as you. Freed from commercial imperatives, the focus of the blogosphere was primarily on using your work as a beacon to locate your people, who were so diffuse and disorganized that there was no other way to find them. That's the dynamic behind the explosion of fandoms and fanfics, behind esoteric maker communities and weird collector rabbit holes, behind conspiratorialism and fringe politics and the whole loom panic wonderment of it all. The commercialization of the blogosphere changed the victory condition. From collecting all the people who viewed the world through the same prism as you, to collecting all the people, period, so they could be shown behaviorally targeted ads. The locus of individuation shifted from the writing to the banner ads. Readers who want to read what you want to write are a gift. Not that there's anything wrong with readers who don't want to read what you want to write. But when a reader wants you to write something you don't want to write, that's a curse. Note that I'm not talking about readers who disagree with your conclusions or methods. I'm talking about readers who say, I love it when you post about X, but your Y content is just not my thing. The obvious rejoinder to this, if you're a writer trying to find your people, is, I guess you're not one of my people. I wish you luck in your search. But decades of behavioral ad-driven content has trained readers and writers to treat those give me more of X and less of Y discussions as training data for a human approximation of a machine learning system, a means to expand the net, attract more clicks, and make more money. I hate it. It could have been different. Behavioral ads were part of the Web 2.0 suite of technologies. It's hard to remember today, but back then the selling point of Web 2.0 was mashups, web tools that let you tear apart a web page or feed and reassemble it to suit your needs. Folksonomy, including Joshua Schachter's delightful invention of the hashtag, was the word of the day, with user communities feverishly tagging one another's material to make it easy for others to find or block the things they found. Tumblr still works this way, and it's great. Once upon a time, it seemed like our web would be one where we explicitly assembled our reading based on our interests, rather than letting the algorithms do it for us. If you loved a writer's output of X, but couldn't abide their output of Y, no problem. You'd just suck their feed into your reader 
and tell it to block stuff tagged as Y. That dream is mostly dead. Even on the Fediverse, your ability to follow someone for X but not Y is crude as hell, hardly better than the web of the early 2000s. Which brings me to readers who tell you that they love your X writing, but the Y stuff grates on them. I hear from them. I love your Twitter threads, but I'm drowning in your retro ad tweets. Or vice versa. I understand that readers who go out of their way to tell me this are, usually, just trying to be helpful, but honestly, if you don't want to read some of what I want to write, and you've chosen to follow me on a platform that doesn't let you pick the stuff you want and hide the stuff you don't, that's your problem, not mine. My weird little cross-platform publication is designed to let you customize your reading. If you just want the long essays, you can follow me on Medium or Tumblr or RSS or via my newsletter. If you want the whole fire hose, you can follow me on Twitter. If you don't want to switch from Twitter to another platform to read my stuff, you can just look at my pinned tweet once a day, which will be an index to the previous 24 hours worth of threads. Or you can read someone else. No hard feelings. Honestly, I relish the freedom of writing exactly what I want to write and the freedom to read exactly what I want to read. If it's too much work for you to pick out the stuff of mine that appeals to you, that is 100% fine. I am not required reading. No one is. Find a writer you like and read them. If you can't find the writer whose work you want to read, become that writer. That's what I did. It's great. All right, maybe I'll see some of you next week in Vegas. If not, if I make it back with my devices intact, I'll podcast to you again as soon as I can. See you later. You've been listening to the Cory Doctor Podcast, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike US 3.0. Or as Woody Guthrie put it in another context, this song is copyrighted in the US under seal of copyright 154085 for a period of 28 years, and anyone caught singing it without our permission will be a mighty good friend of ours, because we don't give a dern. Publish it, write it, sing it, swing to it, yodel it, we wrote it, that's all we wanted to do. Many thanks to John Taylor Williams for mastering. That's Rynex Studio, W-R-Y-N-E-C-K Studio at gmail.com. John Taylor Williams is a full-time self-employed audio engineer, producer, composer, and sound designer. In his free time, he makes beer, jewelry, odd musical instruments, and furniture. He likes to meditate, to read, and to cook. Talk to you next week. <laughs>